Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 55 through 57 today. And the title of the message on this Easter Sunday is, The Sting is Gone. A missionary in Brazil discovered a tribe of Indians in a remote part of the jungle. They lived near a very large river, and the tribe needed medical attention very badly. A contagious disease was ravaging the population of this tribe, but they would not seek medical attention, even though people were dying daily. A hospital was actually rather close by. It was across the river, but the Indians wouldn't cross the river because they believed that the river had evil spirits, and so they wouldn't enter the water of the river because they knew that that would be certain death for them. The missionary explained how he had crossed the river unharmed, but they were not impressed by his story of crossing the river. He then took them to the bank and he placed his hand in the water, but they still wouldn't go in even though the missionary put his hand in the water. He walked into the water and up to his waist and he splashed the water on his face, but that didn't seem to matter to them. They were still afraid to enter the river. So finally he dove in and he swam beneath the surface of the water until he emerged on the other side and he raised a triumphant fist into the air that he was alive. He had entered the water and he had escaped harm. It was then that the Indians broke into a cheer and they followed him across. Among all of the great things that happened on Resurrection Day, none are more meaningful to the born-again believer than the removal of death's sting. The fact that Jesus jumped into the river of death and he emerged on the other side victorious. That message and that reality makes a difference in every aspect of Resurrection Day. Resurrection Day was the day that the sting was removed. It was the day that death actually died. Our text, 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we're going to do something that in um, poetry or in English is called, uh, the English language in writing is called personification. We're going to ascribe to an object or to, a, uh, to an event a personality, a face. We're going to give this idea of death, actually, we're going to give death a, a life. And it's not me who's going to make a designation about death. It's actually the risen Lord. The resurrection, the empty tomb was the death of death. And like all living things, death had a birth. It's kind of hard to think about death having a birth, but it did. And so let's 
dwell on death's birth just a little bit before we get to uh, death's death. We can actually pinpoint the exact date that death was born. It was conceived in Adam and Eve's temptation, and it was birthed, it was given birth the very moment that Adam disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. The exact moment. I've been getting phone calls from my son Paul over in Jacksonville, and every time the phone rings, I panic a little bit thinking, okay, it's time for me to go to Jacksonville because if they're about at the any moment point in Lindsay's pregnancy. But yet we still can't pinpoint when that little girl is to be born. But we can pinpoint where death was born. It was born when Adam sinned, when Adam fell. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. So death has a parent. The parent of death is sin. Sin gave birth to death. And the parent of sin is Satan. So the grandparent of death is Satan. That may be one of the reasons we hate it so. Because its parents are sin and its grandparent is Satan. On the day that Adam fell to temptation and sin, there was a bouncing baby boy born into the household of the devil, and it was given its name, death. Now before sin and death came along, this world was a a far more pleasant place to live. None of us remember that because we've always lived in a sin-sick world, but there was a time when this world was not a sin-sick world. It was a much more pleasant place to live. There were no thorns. There were no thistles. There was no pain. There was no uh, travail. There was no labor. There were no hard efforts. The fruit of the land yielded itself willingly. Yes, there was work in that early land. There was work in the Garden of Eden. But it was a, a joyous work. It was not a laborious work. The human body, it was made much different than the human body is today. The human body was made to last forever. There would be no getting older. There would be no uh, not being able to see as well or not being able to hear as well. There would be no time when your youth would give away to the aches, aches and pains of being a little bit older. However, when death was born, everything changed. It all changed when death was born. Death brought along with him the thorns and thistles and pain and travail. The human body began to decay. The human body began to deteriorate. When death was born, life ended. Perfect life was interrupted. What a sad day in the history of this world when death was born. On the History Channel, you can often find documentaries on World War I or or World War II or other wars. And sometimes some of the very saddest days of those wars are depicted on those documentary channels, on the History Channel. 
I've never seen a documentary on the birth of death. I've never seen a documentary on how the world changed when death came in. I've never seen a documentary to address that, but it was a sad day in history. Death was very active in his early years. Adam and Eve were driven from the garden because they had sinned. The plan of God had been, uh, there was a disobedience to God. And, and their children, Adam and Eve's children, began to fight with each other. And they actually began to kill each other. There was a, a brother named Cain who killed a younger brother named Abel. And he did all of this because of the, the birth of death that day in the Garden of Eden. Wasn't a good day at all. Death became the strongest predator on the face of the earth. Death became the one thing that everybody knew that they were going to have to face someday. Death became the one thing that people feared more than anything else. And it would relentlessly track down each victim. And it would eventually catch those, even those in best health, it would catch them. And it would wrestle them to the ground and and hold on to them until finally it would dog them all the way to the grave. And family members would stand around and they would cry and they would shake their heads and they would say, I remember so much about his life or her life, but now they're dead. How did they die? They died because death was born. It was born in the Garden of Eden. And like its grandfather Satan, death goes to and fro throughout the earth and stalking any prey that, that he can. He's lurking in the shadows of the night. And he is looking to grab hold of the souls of men. He is a terror. Death is the one thing that is feared the most in, in the night. When people sometimes have a hard time going to sleep at night or are afraid of the dark, it's because they're afraid of death. And he doesn't play any favorites, by the way. He has really no prejudices. He attacks all kinds of people. When death came along, he decided, I'll go ahead and I'll make young people die. And I'll make older people die. I'll make people of color die. I'll make people of privilege die. He said, I'll just make anybody die. There is no age barrier. There is no color barrier. And here's something else that death did. I don't know exactly how he was able to accomplish this, but he did it. Death was able to blame what he did on God. And people will say, God, why did you let him die? And death said, that's great. That's awesome. They're blaming God. They're blaming the one who created life and who gives eternal life for the thing that I've done. Death. What an absolute horrid, horrid creature. Death is the spawn of sin and sin is the child of Satan. Yet, God gets the blame for it. Death did some partnerships throughout time. He partnered with Ahab and Jezebel in their murderous plot. He went into the fire uh, and and he took three Hebrew children and he expected to see their 
charred bodies only to be robbed of the victory because there was a fourth person in the fire, but it was his intention that these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was his intention that they die. He would eventually uh, have to deal with that fourth man in the fire, but it was death's intention that the three die. And at the mere mention of death's name, grown men tremble. Something gets wrong with you and you go to the doctor. And the doctor says, you have a very serious disease. Well, how serious is it? Well, this is life-threatening. And as soon as someone hears that, everything changes in their thought process, at least for a while it does. Everything is turned upside down because death has done its work of fear and terror. By the way, death had a very successful early life. Only Enoch and Elijah escaped death. No one else did in those early years. And death was feeling very good about himself. And so, After death's birth, death began to have ambition. It began to want some things. Any child that's born, eventually the the parents have ambition for the child, and then the child has ambition of his own or her own. And so death had an ambition. And his wanderings throughout the earth, death received word that the that fourth man in the fire that he saw earlier was the very Son of God and had taken upon himself human flesh and he came to dwell among mortal men. And death thought to himself, I wonder if I can get him too. And immediately death set out to end the life of Jesus the way that he had ended every other life. He'll end Jesus' life too. This was the greatest chance in the world, death thought, to establish the power of Satan, my father, and to really get a hold of this world is if I can make Jesus die too. And though frustrated in previous attempts, death feels certain that this time he's going to be able to destroy even God himself, certainly the Son of God. This Son of God has come to Jerusalem as the Messiah, and he's playing right into the hands of death. This is going to be great, death thought. I'm going to get him, just like I'm going to get everybody else. Death goes alongside the guards of the Garden of Gethsemane because there was work to do. It was time to get the Son of God. And he sees Jesus, and Jesus is in a vulnerable position. Jesus is crying out. And the Bible says that he he cried, as it were, and, and sweat great drops of blood, and death thought, yes, I've got him. Oh, man. He has done so well for himself since the Garden of Eden, but this is the pied resistance. This is the ultimate victory. I'm going to get him. The one who has eluded him so long, he's going to sting him. Where is my sting? I'll show you where my sting is, Jesus. Boom, I'll get you. And that was the plan. 
And so death does all that he can to intimidate and terrorize the Son of God. But Jesus, well, he's not like these other people who fear death. Jesus looked into the eyes of death and said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. He didn't seem to to indicate fear, but what about let this cup pass from me? Wasn't he afraid of that death experience? Oh, look. We're going to find out for sure what the cup is someday that he was talking about. But I think I know what it is. I don't have to be right on this, but I think I know. There was one thing that was repugnant to the Father. One thing most repugnant, and that was sin. That's why we can't earn our way into heaven. It's because we're sinners. And there has to be a price paid for our sin. We have to have our sins forgiven. We can't just be a good man or a good woman or a good boy or a good girl and go to heaven because we all have sin in our lives. And the Father cannot allow sin into heaven. And Jesus, the Son of God, knew that he was about to become sin. He was about to become sin for us. And this thing right here, this thing right here bothered him because the father was going to have to turn his back on the son. You remember when the earth went dark? You remember when the the temple, the veil of the temple was, was torn. You know what all of that was? That was when Jesus became sin for us and the Father couldn't look on it. It wasn't a fear of death that Jesus wanted to have taken away. It was being something that his Father couldn't even look upon. There was no indication of fear. Jesus has the look of a conqueror, which death doesn't understand. And the fact that Jesus was so confident about his mission and so confident about the crucifixion and so confident about what it all meant, it even caused death. The thing that had caused everything else and everyone else on earth to tremble, this caused death to tremble. And so, death begins to fear. It's not possible, is it, that I have finally met someone who is going to overcome me? Is that possible? Is it possible that that death is going to be destroyed? Let me ask you a question. How does death intimidate you? Are you intimidated by it? When you hear the word cancer, how does that strike you? Oh, I might die. 
Oh, I'm not saying that death is a pleasant thing. But what does death do to you? What about if you discover that you have high blood pressure? Or that something else has happened? Does does death work his will on your courage? He couldn't work his will on the courage of Jesus, but he works his will on our courage. He has the same ambition for you and for me that he had for Jesus. He wants you to fear him. He wants you to doubt God because of him. And though he has faced his own demise, his ambition remains to intimidate you and to intimidate me. And so death continues. He continues his walk as he goes with the crowd through the Garden of Eden to the house of Caiaphas and then on to Pilate. And death whispers in Pilate's ear, kill him. Kill him. Give him over to me. He's a troublemaker. I know how to handle him. If you'll let me have him and you'll let him die, if you'll you'll give him into my hands, your troubles are over. And when this didn't work, death whispered in the ear of the frenzy's crowd and said, ask that he be killed. And the, the spawn of Satan, the, the, the son of sin, the grandson of Satan, stirred up the crowd and said, say it. And they did. They said, crucify him. He said, say it again. Crucify him. Release to us Barabbas, the insurrectionist, and let the blood of the man Jesus be on our hands and on our children's hands. Crucify him. And so the crowd, which has murder in their hearts, cries out to Pilate. And death celebrates. Yay! get him. He's almost mine. I'm going to destroy him. I'm going to devour him. I'm going to overcome the plan of God. This is it. Score. Death takes note of Pilate's words and he shouts his approval as he hears Pilate pronounce that Christ is to go to the, the scourge and and then to be crucified. And he says, this is it. Maybe I'll get him with the scourge. Maybe it won't even have to come to the the crucifixion. Maybe he won't make it to the cross. If, If he doesn't make it to the cross, all of that plan is void. I'll get him with the scourge. And so comes the scourge. That was a brutal beating. That was a brutal beating. It was was lashes of ripping flesh with every lash of the whip death lunged upon the body of Christ. Yet death just couldn't get a grip. Come on, hit him hard enough to do him in. Rip that skin open. Let's go. Let's bleed to death down here. Don't get on the cross, but he couldn't do it somehow. Jesus won't die at the scourge. A lot of others did, but Jesus wouldn't. So 
Death says, all right, fine. Go to the cross then, I'll get you there. And so death along with Satan and his demons are all present when Christ is laid on the cross. Oh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there, and John, the beloved, was there. The Roman soldiers were there, and there were others watching from afar off, but right up close where you couldn't see was death, Satan, demons. They were all there. Jesus was laid out on that cross and he was nailed in his hands and nailed in his feet and a crown of thorns was on his head. They couldn't have been happier, really. The Roman soldiers were just carrying out what they wanted done. I believe they probably laughed at the cross as it was lifted up and dropped into place and and the flesh and the tendons tore on Jesus. And, And death says this, it couldn't be any better than this. It's not just death, it's brutality. I love it. This is what I've been looking for. They stood back from the cross that day. They didn't want to risk one drop of that blood falling on them. Because if there was power in the blood, they didn't want it on them. Larry, I don't want any of that on me. And somehow or another, in the middle of ultimate, ultimate agony, Jesus says a couple of things. Get this. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What is he saying? Death says. Come on. We just had you beaten almost to death and now you're at the point of death. What are you saying? Jesus is able to utter another phrase. He says, it is finished. And he bowed his head And he gave up his spirit. Now, this is where it gets a little dicey for death. Did I get him? Did I not get him? Not sure. From what anyone could see, it looked like death had gotten him. From what anyone could see, it appeared that that death's the winner. And that the final's going to be Death won, Jesus nothing. It was a close game, but it looks like death has won. The sun, well, it didn't shine. The earth convulsed. Birds hushed their singing. Angels in heaven stood stunned at the amazement of the creator, the very son of God, They watched him slump and die. It wasn't a play, Tom. It was 
a real thing. And he died. Pandemonium broke loose in hell. But once again, death felt a, just a twinge, just a tremor of something uneasy. Because he remembered this. Destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again in three days. What did he mean? I'll raise it again in three days. Oh, man, three days. That's the key. <coughs> Got to keep him down. And for death, the crucifixion of Christ was the ultimate nightmare. In light of all that Jesus had said and the claims that he had made, death says, I can't, can't let him get up. I can't let him get out. They only needed to navigate three days, just three days. Let me get past the three days. Day number four and boom, it's over. And I have absolutely, positively won. And so here they come, day one. Day one was the most horrible day for everybody else. It was probably the best day for death. It was a horrible day for those who loved Jesus. Even though the sacrifice was necessary, they had lost sight of that. Most of them had lost sight of that. And they had certainly lost sight in the brutality of his crucifixion. I just don't like brutality. I can't stand brutality. I guess some people like it. I don't. I think I would have been one of those people at the cross that was just horrified. Or maybe I wouldn't even, in fact, I wouldn't have been at the cross. I know that. I know how it is now. If I'm watching a television program and, and they fake showing a broken bone, I have to turn my face from the television. I just can't stand it. Say, Pastor Ray, are you that big of a wimp? No, I'm worse than that. I, I'm really, really bad. So I know that I wouldn't have stood by to watch it. Now, without question, there's glory in the cross. And without question, there's power in the blood. But there is nothing that is beautiful about the death, the event of the death of Jesus. Do we embrace the cross? Yes. Do we cling to the old rugged cross? Yes. But the story of the brutality of the death of Jesus on the cross is just too harsh to bear. The passion play, it's the one scene that people turn their eyes from. It's the one scene that's too much for little children. It's the one scene that is too brutal. Yet, the worst part of it is Tom gets beat up a little bit. It depicts some brutality, but it's not real brutality. Day one was brutal. 
Day one was necessary, but day one was horrifying. For death, however, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times for us. It was the best of times for death. The fall of man has now claimed the biggest prize, the death of the Son of God. Death watches carefully as Jesus is taken down from the cross. Is he dead? Is he really dead? And he watches closely and carefully as he is transported to a borrowed tomb. And I don't know that it ever crossed his mind, why would he be buried in a borrowed tomb? I don't think it ever crossed his mind. Look <laughs> there. He didn't even have a tomb of his own. I'm going to live forever. He had to borrow a tomb. And he did. look, he could not put two and two together and come up with four. He didn't need a permanent tomb. So he was just happy to see Jesus in any tomb, borrowed or not. Day one was a dark day for the disciples of Christ, but a happy day for death. The son of sin, the grandson of Satan had won. Death had won on day one, but then there was day two. He was still winning. It was the second day. That's when the discussion came about posting the guards outside the tomb. It was the day that the grave was was buttoned up as tight as possible. All right, tell you what let's do. Let's really make this thing secure. Let's make sure that nobody messes around with this body because um, this death is really, really, really important. And so death quietly and silently corroborates a plan or with the others to come up with a plan to make sure that everything stays dead and everyone stays dead. Matthew 27, 62, the next day, that is after the day of the preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and, and tell the people he has risen from the dead. The last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a, a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. They call safe touch. And they said, we want to get a monitor put on the only door, and we want that to be the highest tech monitor possible, and we want it guarded 24 hours a day. Everything now is going as planned. Death has claimed the Son of God. His followers are in despair, and their future is gloomy. Death is feeling pretty good. But something is... He's a little queasy. You know how when you're, you got something coming on, you don't know what it is, but you know something's not right, you know? Well, I'm not sure. Hey, how are you feeling today? I don't really know. I'm just a little off. I'm not sure what's wrong with me. I'm just a little 
I'm not hitting on all cylinders. Well, death had a little something off, but he wasn't really sure what it was or what it was going to be. But then came day three. Very early in the morning, on the third day, death says, oh, no. Not that. Surely not. Yeah. Now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb, and behold, there was a, a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know who you seek, Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then quickly and then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Can somebody say out loud, Amen? Amen. Death has lost. This was the day that death died. Born in the Garden of Eden, died on resurrection day. This is the day the sting was removed. In the resurrection of Christ came victory over death. The fear that so many have had can, uh, have, can, uh, have had can be overcome and for one reason only, that Jesus rose from the dead. Now listen very carefully to me. I'm not saying you ought to be excited to have the death experience, but I am saying to you that death is overcome by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the promise of your resurrection if your faith is in Jesus Christ. That's the thing to be excited about. Revelation 1.18, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Colossians 2.15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortar puts on uh, mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? There is no reason to fear what death can do to you in Jesus Christ. It doesn't have to hold anything over you. Christ tasted death for us. And he triumphed over it that first Easter morning. 
The first Easter morning was the day that death died. And I will say this, this Easter morning can be the day that death dies in you, if it hasn't. This Easter morning can be the day that by faith you put your trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and believe that as he rose from the dead, you too someday will rise in resurrection and that you'll go to heaven at the end of this life. Let me close with this quick story. Winston Churchill arranged his own funeral. I'm thinking about doing that. He arranged his own funeral. There were stately hymns at St. Paul's Cathedral and an impressive liturgy that he had all arranged. But at the end of the service, Churchill had an unusual event planned. When they said the benediction, a bugler high in the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral was on one side and he played taps. The universal signal that day is over. And after he played taps, there was a long pause and no one moved in the congregation. And then a bugler on the other side of the cathedral played reveille. The day's wake-up call. And it was Church Hill's way of communicating that while it was good night here, it was good morning there. Why could he do this? Because he believed in Jesus Christ who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Today is resurrection day. It's the day that death died. Believe it. Receive it. And death can be dead in you. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida. 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.